Hello, and welcome to My Story Weaves Our Story. This is a virtual diversity panel that was created to represent and reflect the unique experiences, perspectives, and viewpoints of the people and the communities who live here. This series will serve as a space for people from different populations within our community to make their voices heard and to give others the opportunity to learn from their perspectives. I'm your host, Ryan, and I work for the Northwestern Prevention Collaborative, and I'm going to be hosting this alongside the other host. Yeah, so this is Nat, and I'm so excited to have our panelists here today from our LGBTQIA community. We're really excited to have you all on as well, and we're excited to hear a little bit from each of you. So the way we're going to do this, uh, and it seemed to work pretty well last time, we're going to do just a brief introduction. If you could give your name, uh, a little bit about your background, and of course, everyone's favorite, one interesting fact. And just from looking at the screen, Elliot, looks like you are in the hot seat first. So if you wouldn't mind to go first. Thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, so my name is Ellie Williams-Thomaseb. I use she, her pronouns. I'm originally from New Jersey, uh, moved to Boston for school, and then moved down here to the Valley in about uh, spring of 2018. Uh, came down here for work. Um, my wife and I really fell in love with the area and chose to stay. So, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions from my parents of when you're moving back home, but for now, this is home. Uh, and an interesting fact is uh, I used to be a TV reporter. Very cool, Ellie. And like you did last time, you're actually making us all sound a little bit better. So I know I appreciate that. <laughs> but thank you for being here, Ellie, and, and being on with us this evening. Jan, moving right along to you. Okay. Hi, I'm Jan. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am originally from Charlottesville, moved up here about two years ago. Um an interesting fact, I guess, uh, I have been to Kurt Cobain's house and sat on the bench right outside of his house. Yeah, Paul and I went on a road trip after I graduated college and our first road, our first stop was Seattle. So I had to, um, and we found this really cool Uber driver who I'm like still friend, who we're both actually still friends with today. And he, I, he was like, why are you here? And I was like, I'm here to see Kurt Cobain stuff. And he's like, you want to go to his house? And I was like, absolutely. I do. <laughs> Sir, I'm wearing a shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. So, That's really cool. Yeah. Paul, no pressure, but that was a really cool, interesting fact. So I'm expecting a big follow-up here. <laughs> uh, no. Yikes. Um, I'm Paul Rush. I use they them pronouns. Um, I've lived in Shenandoah County my whole life. I um, actually lived just down the street from where I grew up. So um, no, didn't get very far. Um now, as far as an interesting fact, I always use this one in emergency situations. I fell off the Great Wall of China and lived. Um, <laughs> now, granted, it may have just been the last two stairs, but it still counts. Um, so, yeah, that's my fun fact. Okay, Paul, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty was, good one. I was waiting for. I was waiting to see how long they would wait to clarify on the two steps. Paul's like, I fell off the Great Wall of China, and you're like, Oh my god! Hey, you know what? One steps, two steps, Paul. I'm still gonna count it. Paul's and Aries. Everything is more dramatic than it seems. I can personally attest to that. <laughs> so, Alyssa, if you wouldn't mind to introduce yourself, and one interesting fact, of course. I don't know how to follow up with these interesting facts, but anyhow, um, my name is Alyssa. I use she, her pronouns. I live in Luray, Virginia, but I consider myself, um, when talking to folks in this area, a transplant. I moved here um, in about, I guess it was 2005. So I moved here as, a, um, as an adolescent or a child, I guess, really. Um, and I have lived here on and off since then, moving uh, primarily back and forth between here and Northern Virginia, which is where I was actually born. Um, and as far as an interesting fact, well, 
you all saw a little bit ago, but I guess maybe the um, podcast people won't be able to see. I have a newborn baby who is seven weeks old as of tomorrow. Well, congratulations. That's a very interesting fact. And again, a huge congratulations to you. That's that's really great. Thank you. Now, of course, Tina, you were not going to escape without an interesting fact. And it also gives me a couple more moments to come up with my interesting facts. So, Tina, if you'd like to introduce yourself and also tell an interesting fact about yourself. All right. So I'm Tina, uh, founder of I'm Just Me Movement. And um, actually work for the coalition as well. Uh, one fun fact about me is uh, I'm in love with the color purple. Although I wear a lot of pink, people assume it's my favorite color. I know it's not too fun, but being a breast cancer survivor, um, it's not too much of a fun fact, but being a breast cancer survivor, people assume that I love the color pink because I wear it uh, so much in representation of a breast cancer awareness. But purple is actually my favorite color and I'm in love with it. Well, that was a great introduction, Tina. It did not give me enough time to come up with an interesting fact to rival the great ones that I've heard here. Uh, but my name is Ryan and I work for the Northwestern Prevention Collaborative. I do a bunch of fun things. I host a podcast over there. I get to work with the youth in three different counties and just overall work on community development that leads us uh, to a happier, healthier, safer community. But my interesting fact is that I spent uh, about eight years working and dressing up as a bear and dancing in said bear suit. Yes, it happened. No, it was not a weird job. It was for Yogi Bear. So No, I believe you. That's so funny. It was fun. It was a good time. So as we all are kind of moving forward here, um, what I'd kind of like to see us do now we're going to go around and you all touch on just a little bit more, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about each of your all stories and a little bit more about your biography. Ellie, Paul, I know you all elaborated a little bit before, uh, but this is a chance to really kind of delve into the weeds a little bit, maybe t talk about some things that you hadn't uh, really hit on the first time, and maybe some things that you think uh, would be interesting to our listeners. So main question where are you from? And just tell us your, your story of living here. Um, some of the different struggles, the, the different victories you've seen. There's no real right answer. So, and Ellie, you did such a great job starting us off last time that only naturally you would get the pleasure once again. So we will start with you. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, so, you know, as I mentioned, I'm originally from New Jersey. I grew up in a very, very uh, liberal, progressive area, uh, very diverse you know, I, I joke that all of my next door neighbors were gay until they weren't. And then I was the gay neighbor um, because the, I lived next to queer adult couples um, my, my entire you know, childhood growing up, which I think is a pretty unique thing um, and, and something that a lot of folks in the queer community cannot necessarily say. But I had a lot of uh, adult role models to look up to because it was very normalized. Um, and, you know, there there were you know, folks that kind of look like me in that sense um, to, to look up to a lot of parents, friends, uh, and, you know, my friends, parents and things yeah, like and that. It was never really an issue. Um, you know, I came out at a, when I was about 14 and never had any issue with friends, family, things like that. Um, and, you know, moving to the Valley was a little bit different. I wasn't sure what quite to expect. Um, you know, it was, it, it felt very different moving down here. Um, but very quickly, some of the first folks I met were actually uh, the owners of the Hideaway Cafe here in Winchester. Um, and, you know, I actually thought that they were the only cafe in town because everybody, every realtor, every, you know, uh, Airbnb host I talked to when I came down to visit Winchester the first time was telling me to go there. And I was like, oh, they must be the only cafe. You know, they, they just knew who I was <laughs> and sent me there. Um, but it was a it was a great little welcome into Winchester and really, which I think showed me the, the opening into the Valley as a whole. Um, you know, I've met some really remarkable people here and have met some of the most welcoming folks here. Um, you know, my wife and I chose to stay here because we loved the sense of community that was here, uh, not just in Winchester, but in Frederick County, in, in Front Royal, in Shenandoah County. 
you know, we, there are so many hidden gems in the Valley. And so we were really excited to start building our lives here. Um, you know, she's actually from North Carolina. So, you know, she had some of her own trepidation about kind of coming back to the South. Um, but it, it really has been such a blessing for both of us. Well, that's great, Ellie. And uh, I'm really glad to hear a, that, that you all have, have come here and, and made the, the journey successfully. So I know I'm personally really glad that not only that you, you came to the Valley, but that you agreed to be here. So thank you, Jan, we're going to move right along to you. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Charlottesville, um, went to college in Lynchburg. Um, I, I guess I found my identity a little bit later in life than probably a lot of people do, but I don't know. They haven't done statistics on that. Um, I had a really rough childhood and I didn't really get an opportunity to kind of figure out who I was until probably about my mid-20s, just because I was really busy taking care of other people. Um, so I didn't really discover that I was a queer person, I guess, until I was 25. Um, I always felt very connected to the LGBT community. I didn't really know why. Like, I've never felt more comfortable than when I was in, like, a room full of, like, gay people and, like, drag queens. Like, that's, like, my happy place. <laughs> um, but and I, I guess I probably, like, always knew. I just, I don't know. Charlottesville is, like, a weird area because there's some areas near the university that are very like city and like old money and then there's the rural part where I went to school so it was like very much so like the opposite like there's like Charlottesville but then there's like little communities like Crozet and Ivy and those little places that are more like rural and not so accepting and I was definitely like the weird kid of my school um running around with like pink hair and rainbows and I don't know um so I guess I, I have like a mixture of both because even like in Charlottesville, we're near the university. There's still like conservative, like old money that is there that like funds the university. And then there's like the students that are there nine months of the year. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's different parts of it, I guess, are super different. And so I kind of got like a wide exposure like I, my parents are fine with me going to gay pride my dad's never cared my mom never cared uh we had a an lgbt like club in my high school um i can't remember what it's called of course right now um i did a no hate campaign like photo shoot when i was like a soft no a junior in high school and See, I guess my my exposure to all, like, I got more into social justice probably when I was in high school, just with everything going on. Um, yeah, I, I hope that answered the question. It did. It did. That, that was a good answer. Thank you. Okay. It's just it's just interesting to hear the different perspectives of, you know, even the, and we talk about it on, on this show, you know, even the diversity which exists within the town you know, itself and the, even the different climates uh, within the area. So without any further ado, Paul, I know you've been wait waiting patiently here, but we can't leave you waiting in suspense any longer. So please. Dying. <laughs> oh, so I have lived my entire life in Strasburg. I've uh, left various different times. I went to school in Lynchburg, uh, to college. And growing up here, um, I had a very kind of Appalachia style of growing up. Um, basically, growing up, your two options were male, female, straight, Christian. That that was it. Um, but I always knew I was different. Um, my parents would, of course, want me to... I was born male, and my parents would want me to, uh, you know, dress that way, play with action figures, uh, wrestle, go hunting, that kind of stuff. And I enjoyed some of it, but I also wanted to paint and act and do makeup and do other stuff. Um, and I struggled with that a lot because from an early age, I realized that wasn't going to be acceptable for here at that time. So, um, you know, as you get to that age where you start noticing people, um, I 
realized I gender wasn't a factor for me in that. And I felt weird. I didn't even know a word for that. Um, now, in the background of this, um, my family is very large, but it was full of a lot of older people. Uh, so unfortunately, a lot of those people were meeting the end of their time. And for about 10 years, um, it, I was at a funeral just about every six months, just from various causes and, and things. Um, so of course, you know, that wasn't a good environment, but then I was feeling this extreme confusion, self-hatred, because I thought I was some sort of freak, some sort of just weird accident. Um, so I struggled with that for a very long time. Um, in college, I kind I came out to myself, but that, that was it. Um, I was in a pretty emotionally abusive relationship for a while. Um, I did come out to uh, my partner that I was in that with. And they threatened me with it um, to tell my family. And so I just kept quiet. Uh, when I was 23, I finally got out of that. Um, I came out to my friends immediately. Um, I came out to my mom. And she she had a good reaction. It was the um, we've always known reaction. But, I mean... It's not the best, but it, it was good. It was it was comforting. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to go. Um, and then at the time, I was kind of debating gender identity and everything like that about should I label it? Should I not label it? And I went back and forth on this for years. Um, so I came out officially when I was 23. And then around the time I was 25, I was like, okay, male isn't right for me. Um, so I just tried changing my pronouns, like using he and they. Um, and then I found a label, uh, it was agender. So it's someone who doesn't feel any sort of gender identity. They're just a person. And that describes my experience. Of course, I was raised and socialized as males. So I can act as a male very beautifully, but that's not who I am. And, um, so I finally came out when I was 20, 26. Um, and things were really good. Um, I hadn't come out to my family. I really put that off. Um, then unfortunately last year, um, my partner and I, my partner's also LGBT, um, we had hung a pride flag from our house and our house was vandalized with anti-LGBT uh, and we live in a historically black neighborhood and there was anti-black graffiti as well. Um, so that kind of forced me to come out to my family as far as gender identity, because I figured if it's all out, it, it might as well all be out. So um, unfortunately it did happen again a month later, uh, our house was vandalized again. And uh, I, along with the Northern Shenandoah Valley Unites, uh, really fought my town council to bring forth some sort of resolution just to say that what, was hap what had happened was wrong or that we should, you know, live in peace together, even if we, you know, don't like someone for an arbitrary reason. Um, unfortunately, after a three-month fight, uh, that has been kind of tabled um, and... So yeah, that's uh, been the bad parts of it. Now, the good parts is I have met so many wonderful people. Um, that experience really connected me with a lot of um, individuals in the community who are LGBT. It actually connected me with uh, Matt Burracker, who connected me with Ryan. So, <laughs> so um, there is some good in that. And yeah, so that's my story. Paul, I just have to say, I think it's really interesting to go from not once, but twice now I've, I've roped you into this and to go from, you know, hey, I want to be quiet. I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to keep it quiet, too. I'm speaking in a public platform <laughs> that's going to be put on the Internet. I just think that takes a ton of courage uh, and, and is really, really cool. And it's just really interesting, too, uh, you know, that you mentioned that that 
horrible thing that, that you had to go through, but it's interesting to see how it played out and kind of, you know, couldn't keep you down sort of thing where you made more connections and you went out, branched out even further. And now you have an even larger platform. So it's just interesting to see how those things come full circle a little bit. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things where the, the thing I was fearing happened. So mm. I was like, okay, well, there's no reason because I was allowing fear to stop me from doing things. And I was like, well, that's already here. So I might as well do it. You know, there's no more consequence. The consequences happened. Good for you. I just want to add that that's super, super brave. Uh, and I, I remember hearing about this and about your story. I didn't know it was you, but I remember um, seeing the uh, Unite Facebook page and hearing about the disgraceful things that happened. And the fact that you've been able to um, continue, you know, great you know experience and really um continue to love yourself you know when it it could be really difficult and it, it could be really difficult in terms of identity um you know and, and having people accept you for who you are but uh being able to move past that and, and continue to love yourself i think is amazing yeah, and honestly, a lot of it wouldn't have been possible without my partner and my best friend kind of there to um, hold my hand and hold, uh, for, in Jan's case, hold both uh, my and my partner's hands and just get us back to back to feeling human. Well, certainly, uh, certainly not least, but last, Alyssa, if you wouldn't mind to uh, finish us off here, just tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of, of your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just wanted to start off by, well, I guess now I'm starting off with two things. One, I just want to say, especially to, to Jan and Paul, like, um, I'm so sorry to hear that you all had to endure some of these things that you've had to endure. Um, and not to give you space as well, Ellie, but just, I just want to say, like, I'm always thankful for the opportunities I have to be in a space with people who can share some understanding, but I also always recognize that I can never understand completely um, what, you know, even people within my own community have gone through. And so I just want to say, like, um, thank you for being here and sharing, uh, sharing everything you had to say. And of course, not to steal your thunder there, Ryan, I know that's what you were thinking. But um, I have to say it even as a community member, because it's still important for me to vocalize that, right? Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing is just, I need to also uh, kind of say thank you to Ryan and Tina for um having taken the time to to state or or to bring light to the fact that even during these diversity sessions that the panelists are not all encompassing of our community um, because I will do the best I can to tell you about me and my experiences but I cannot um, speak for everyone and I will not try to do that and I just want to make sure that that's really clear because I'm proud to identify as queer or part of the LGBTQIA plus community um, but I also like us being panelists are not all encompassing of our LGBT community that's not all encompassing of who I am so there's a lot of other facets to my life um, to my story, to my experiences that have kind of brought me where I am and cultivated the person that I am. Um, undoubtedly, uh, my sexuality is a part of that, but it is not all of that. Um, but since we are here to talk specifically about um, that, I will say that um, somewhat recently, I have been able to kind of pinpoint what I find to be the closest label or term to my sexuality, which is um, what I will tell you is demisexual. And I don't know if any of you all have heard of that term. Um, I had not, even myself, um, being married to a woman and, and um, having dated women um, for many years, I, I, and being in this community, I still had not necessarily heard of the term demisexual. And so that's used to basically describe someone who requires an emotional connection, um, 
to find someone um, sexually attractive. And so for a while, when people would kind of um, poke and prod at my sexuality, I would use a term like pansexual to describe myself. But I feel more closely related to um, demisexuality because that's really where I feel that um, I fit. And I know that some people can kind of roll their eyes at the amount of terms there are these days or labels. Um, and even myself, I had been one of those, like, I don't want to put a label on it people. And that's totally fine. There's many people that don't want that, but I was so interested to find a level of comfort in a term, right? Like I didn't think a word could be comforting, but it was when I was like, oh, wow. Like, this makes sense. Instead of me having to just kind of put myself into um, a category that had been pre-made and I defined where I fit in that, you know, um, I always said, I don't like having to find where I fit. But then when I found somewhere to fit, it was kind of, that was kind of comforting. So as far as my sexuality goes, that's where I lie. But um, I am married to uh, a woman. My partner is amazing. She is uh, seriously great, but we won't go into that because that's a literal whole nother podcast. Um, I also am a mother to two children. I have a um, six-year-old and I have a seven-week-old. And so my six-year-old daughter was um, conceived with a, a male partner at the time. And so a lot of my questions about my sexuality stem from that, um, especially prior to my marriage, because people would say, well, how did that happen? Um, and so that was kind of always awkward, right? Because like, well, how do you think it happened? Uh, so, but recently my wife and I went through um, a fertility clinic to have an IUI procedure done um, for um, intrauterine insemination. We were thankful to have conceived and we have our son with us now. Um, as far as where I lie in the, in the Shenandoah Valley, I, like I said, I live in Luray. I moved to Page County when I was in fifth grade and that was incredibly difficult having come from kind of like Ellie said, a more, um, diverse area in some ways, much more liberal, or at least my liberal upbringing of my mother. I came to a rural community as a young child during kind of the, the, primal, the prime years for finding oneself. And I felt very excluded and very uncomfortable and very scared and, um, not to get emotional, but I can say that Ryan here, our host was one of the, um, main people that helped pull me through that in our young childhood years. And he is an amazing person for that. And I'm so thankful that I've never um, felt judgment from him as I explored myself, my sexuality, and um, who I am in general. But being um, in the LGBT community in the Valley can be very difficult. My wife, who has lived here her whole life and is part of a very prominent family in this area, her mom is a teacher and retired from the school system. Her father is a firefighter. Um, her sister is a teacher. She and I have often shared stories about what it was like to be um, to be a part of the LGBT community. And um, she has a very traumatic and different different story than I do. And so I think that's a lot of where I come from when I say like I can't speak to everything because I did have a liberal parent who never made me feel like. Um, there was anything to be ashamed of in your sexuality. And really she kind of struck down all social norms in that way. So when I came out, I always tell people I wasn't really coming out. I was just telling my mom I was dating a girl and that was kind of the end of the story. She wasn't fond of the girl I was dating, but she didn't care that it was a girl, but my wife, um, she, you know, she had a very, very different experience with that and she is older than me. So there's some to speak for that, but we, um, even struggle now, you know, married and it's just, it can sometimes feel very awkward to be out in public. You know, she's well known. A lot of people talk to her and sometimes it can feel very uncomfortable. And I've even seen that in the past seven weeks with a new baby and people want to ooh and all over the baby, but there's still a level of, um, uncomfortability there where people don't want to talk about the, the reality of what is our life. And so, um, yeah, I guess that was a long winded story about myself. Well, that's why we invited you for the long winded story about yourself. Um, so just 
Tina, bringing you back into the fold there. Thank you, Alyssa, for sharing that. Um, also on the record, I did give her $20 to say nice things about me, which I'm glad to see they paid off. Uh, Tina, I'm going to turn it over to you if you want to go ahead and ask our panelists um, our second question. Um, yes, thank you, Ryan. Uh, what is the biggest misconception about um, the LGBTQIA um, community? And I do like what you said earlier about not speaking for all of the individuals and being representative of, of um, the whole community and speaking on behalf of your story. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I guess we could start with Allie. Um, what are some of the misconceptions that you have learned or become aware of? Sure. Well, I think that those misconceptions can vary, right? I mean, I, I when I first came out to my mother, her response was, you know, don't tell anybody because it might limit your job opportunities. It might limit your, you know, your social opportunities, things like that. So I think there are already some misconceptions um, that, that are starting to change, right? As that stigma is changing, right? My, my mother, you know, grew up in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? That, that population had a very different view on the topic. You know, it was very much of that, you know, keep it quiet, keep it at home kind of thing. And, and I say that my mother was very, it is very accepting, has, you know, always been accepting, but that was just, it was a fear for her. Um, so I think that's that's a big misconception that a lot of parents have when their children come out is, oh my goodness, what is your life going to be? Um, and and you know, and I say this to all the parents who are watching this and all the you know queer queer kids and queer young adults, it it does not have to be this horrible life sentence that that people seem to think that perhaps it is. You can still absolutely have a completely full life with all of the things that your parents wanted for you, right? Whether that's, you know, marriage and kids and grandkids and, you know, that whole thing, like you can still have that. Um, and you can be happy, right? Like you can, you can still be the happy person that you are meant to be. Um, I think that leads into the second big misconception uh, that I hear from a lot of people, which is especially, I hear it here in our community in the Valley, um, that folks are sort of, you know, have this sort of tacit or, or quiet homophobia or transphobia. And, and a lot of the conversation is like, you can be gay, but just don't, don't put it in my face. Right. Um, and right. Ultimately, when you say that the actual answer is don't be gay, right. Or, or don't be queer, don't be trans um, because I don't want to know about it because it offends my sensibilities in some capacity. And people might think that that is a harmless thing, but it tells our community that we are not wanted, that we are not loved and that we are not welcome. Um, and, you know, as an adult, I have a thick enough skin, I can handle that, but some of our, our folks in our community can't and our kids can't, right? And, and this is why, and I say this with, you know, content warning for viewers, this is why the suicide rate for queer individuals and queer youth is so high. It should not be what it is. Um, it is, I mean, any any percentage, right, of likelihood of, of taking one's life is too high. But the fact that it is up in the 40, 50% or higher, and frankly, it probably is higher. These numbers are probably unreported. Um, that is unacceptable. And as a community, we need to do better. And not just as a queer community, but as a human community, as the Valley, as Virginia, as the U.S., we need to do better. Um, and then, sorry, my last misconception, and I promise this is it. Um, my last misconception is that you know we are trying to harm or turn people. We have literally no interest. We are not trying to spread some kind of agenda. We just want to make sure that people are staying alive and people are allowed to live their lives. And anybody who you know believes in the concept of American freedom should be beyond behind us with that because that's what it is. It's a freedom to be exactly who you are and to not have to hide it. So I'll get off my soapbox now. Oh, thank you so much. Very well said. And Very I think, well you know, with, with this panel, um, we're able to, with this experience for others, we're being able to help break down some of those stigmas and misconceptions. So thank you for educating um, people that may not be you know, abreast of some of the things that um, impact the LGBTQIA um, community. And, and as you said, the human community. 
Um, uh, Paul, how about you? What are some of the misconceptions that you've um, become aware of or have heard? Um, um, so the biggest one, and I remember being told this so many times growing up, uh, was that gay people, queer people, LGBT people were predators. And th that's just flat out false. I mean, like there are people who are LGBT and may do that. I don't know. But by being LGBT, like it doesn't mean that we're predatory or that we're deviants or have something deeply flawed within us. It's, we just live a little bit differently. Um, that was one that was told to me constantly growing up. Um, I've noticed for people like my age, like late 20s and below, a lot of people don't really hold on to that. Like that's not common even with people who may hold more like conservative social views. But beyond that, I've noticed some older folks still tend to go down that that line of thinking. Um, the other one uh, is that queerness looks a certain way. Um, so I'll use my partner and I as, as an example. I'm agender and pansexual. My partner uh, is gender nonconforming and bisexual. And on the surface, for my own safety, I present masculinely because I have those features. I have broader shoulders. My voice isn't super deep. It's not super high either, but people, no matter what, people will still call me sir because, you know, we're in the South and that's how you be polite. Um, and she enjoys presenting femmes. So when people see us, they're like, oh, you know, that's it's this lovely straight couple. And then they'll proceed to say homophobic, transphobic things around us, assuming that we agree. Um, queerness doesn't look a certain way, um, you know, and that goes into media too. A lot of expressions of queer people are skinny, able-bodied, white, cisgender, gay men. And obviously like, yes, they're part of the LGBT community, but they are not the only ones. Um, that's why I think telling more diverse stories is so important is because a lot of people, because of the way that we're represented in media, either think I'm very promiscuous or, oh, well, you're not like skinny and white. So no, you can't be LGBT. Uh, that's not, not at all accurate. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, how about Alyssa? What are some of the misconceptions that you have um, have heard? Um, well, you know, I think when I was looking over the questions and kind of thinking about, you know, what we would be talking about, my one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, in general is just that our existence is in some way threatening to society. Um, this kind of idea in our society that being white and male and heterosexual is in some way superior to um, other things. And so I think that um, that's one of the, the biggest misconceptions or kind of the blanketing overarching misconception. And I think it kind of speaks to what Ellie, Jan and Paul all kind of said. Um, and then beyond that, I found it interesting and, and kind of what Paul said kind of cued me into this. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a nurse. And so in my line of work, if you will, I often work with an older population and I use she, her pronouns. I present pretty feminine. I have um, two children that you know, can sometimes be brought up in conversation, although I am careful to um, frequently not speak to um, the gender or, or use pronouns when speaking of my partner. Um, people just automatically assume that I fit into this box of what is considered normal in our society, this kind of um, heteronormative uh, look or this nuclear look. And 
I think if anything, that's the biggest misconception is that, you know, that is the norm. If, an, if anything, that is the misconception. I don't think it's a misconception about our community. I think the misconception is our social norms. I think they're out of whack. Um, because if we could just address those, then uh, I wouldn't even think that we'd be having a conversation. We wouldn't be having this podcast, right? Uh, and that that's my ultimate goal. And that's where I would love to see things be for my children and my children's children is that... Um, we don't have to seek out space or um, safety or um, fight against things like the, the laws that are, are being enacted, um, like the don't say gay or things like that. If we could work towards a social norm that was vastly different than what we have now, um, then we wouldn't have to worry about uh, misconceptions. Thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, I had the little one there. <laughs> um, so, um, how about you, Jan? What are the exceptions um, that you have heard or become aware of? So y'all kind of hit on all the ones, but I did think of one. It's something that like my grandparents say a lot is that like the, the, all this, all this, all the letters. And all the gender ideas are just something new that, like, the Gen Zers or whatever have just, like, come up with. And it's like, no, queer people have existed for hundreds of years. They're literally, it's documented, okay? They're photos from, like, forever. As soon as photos were able to be taken of queer people kissing, people in dresses. Literally, it goes back to, like, even, like, ancient Native American culture where they had, like, another word for somebody who didn't who was who they called it i think a two-spirit person i think i don't know the exact word but that's like hundreds of years ago and that this generation is just where that's been no it's like this generation is the first one where we haven't had the fear like the social isolation for gen z doesn't exist and that's what's different about this generation is that they're all very familiar with like pronouns and gender identities and different sexualities. It's like, no gens, like <laughs> I'm kind of on the cusp of being a millennial. I was born in 95. Millennials are just like, most of them at least will just kind of sit back or whatever and just like try and talk to you about it. Gen D, Gen Z doesn't care. Gen Z will tell you that you're wrong and scream in your face. And that's like my favorite thing about that. Like, Gen Z is just like more aggressive about protecting like that like they're just not they don't care what you think like this is who they are so i i guess the biggest misconception for that is that it's just like a new thing that our generation has like come up with so this is a little bit of a two-part question and this will be our final question for you all but how do you all think that that businesses individuals and this community as a whole can build an atmosphere that feels a little more inclusive and welcoming of everyone. And while we realize that improving, you know, relations between groups of people, it takes time, right? How, what do you think the ultimate outcome should be um, for the community? So I know those are some large questions for you all, but, but I want you to think of that. So Ellie, again, you've just done a dynamite job starting us off. Um, so I'm going to let you start if you want in mind. Ryan, you just threw like three questions at me at once. <laughs> uh, so let me just start with businesses. Um, if you are a business that supports the LGBTQIA community, make it clear. Put a sign in your storefront. Put something on your website. Um, your Yelp profile can have a, a little indicator that says you are an LGBTQ friendly business. It makes a difference knowing that you're going to patron businesses that support your basic human rights. Um, and then on a second note for that, for folks who are you know choosing to do stuff for Pride, which is coming up in June, uh, corporate pride is a really big thing. And then those same companies turn around and donate to politicians whose campaigns absolutely 
go against everything the queer community stands for and put our lives in danger. So if you are choosing to, you know, support corporate pride this year because it's fun or because you are interested in it, do your homework, support companies that are actually owned by queer folks and benefit queer folks. Uh, you know, just in general, though, I think that it is really important for folks to sit down and talk to each other, um, talk to the communities. You know, when Tina was drafting language around inclusivity in Stephen City, she sent it to a member of the queer community. She sent it to me. She sent it to other individuals to say, hey, does this sound right? Does this feel encompassing? Does this actually address what we're wanting to do um, to steal a, a phrase from the disability community, uh, which is nothing about us without us, involve queer people in your conversations, involve disabled folks in disabled policy and disability issues, but that's a, a whole separate podcast too. Um, but but in, include us in your conversations. If you are wanting to you know, adopt diversity standards, include queer people in those conversations. Um, don't, don't run a event for queer the, the queer community and not consult queer people. Um, and then my final thing is the community is more than just drag. So it'd be great if we could have some events that were more than just drag. That's my thing. Ellie, that was great. Thank you so much. Um, definitely a lot of great points there and, and a lot of great points about, you know, again, making, making people aware. And I think what you said too, about having the conversations, really, that's the most important part and kind of the whole premise and idea behind this podcast, yeah, right? So how can you say, Hey, we're going to do something for a particular community without ever addressing that community? That's silly. doesn't make sense. So thank you for sharing that and illuminating that. I don't remember what order we were going in, but now that's all blown up. So Paul, I'm already looking at you. For businesses, I'm going to go um, internal culture that that route um so you find in a lot of businesses um their internal hierarchies and structures typically align with the values and this is not it i'm not talking about anybody in particular i'm just saying business in general in the world typically align with patriarchal and kind of like white supremacist values where typically it's a white older white gentleman at the top and then you go down the line and the gender and racial categories change. Um, and within that, there is a streak of anti-queerness. Um, so in my professional life, I use they, them pronouns. I put that in my email signature. When I sign documents, it's mix Paul Rush, not Mr. And I think just doing small changes, so a lot of businesses will use different forms and things. Um, so allowing that third marker, it's a, or fourth marker, excuse me, instead of Mr., Mrs., Miss, and Mix, or some other alternative. Um, of encouraging people to put pronouns in their email signatures or name tags if they're comfortable doing so, because you never want to force someone to come out or misgender themselves or just if they're comfortable doing it, then okay. Um, I think just focusing on making the, it a safe space uh, for you know questions. Um, a lot of my coworkers, I'm the first trans person they've ever encountered. Um, so they'll oftentimes ask me questions that are, I am wildly unqualified to answer. <laughs> um, but, you know, making it a safe space where they know so long as they ask something respectfully, I can answer respectfully or vice versa. Um, so as far as businesses, I think as business leaders go, they should be cognizant of those entrenched structures and do what they can to dismantle it with the privilege they have. Um, that being said, that, that goes for society in general as well. Um, okay, so the second part, um, we're talking about like communities. And communities, I think, um, kind of like what Ellie was saying, should show their pride. It's not a political issue. Our existence isn't political, or it shouldn't be anyway. Now, queerness is political because you're opting 
not opting, but you know, you are different in some way from the norm, which is again dictated by patriarchy, white supremacy, etc. So I think communities should make be willing to make statements, including everyone. You know, there are and it's not just LGBT, um, you know, people who are disabled or overlooked, people of color or overlooked. And there are LGBT people of every other category. You know, we, our communities need to express the solidarity that they want us to have with them, with us. Having that solidarity, I think would be important in instilling that in the community through um, events, so long as obviously they're consulting the community, like Ellie said, um, and just kind of getting us all closer together letting us have those conversations in safe spaces. And um, I forgot what the third question was, but that that is my soapbox. <laughs> well, Paul, actually, you pretty much roll it all into one great answer there um, and kind of about that, that ultimate outcome. Um, and really, you know, pushing for that safe space for humans to communicate, right, is, is not asking, it's not a big ask, right? Hey, here's and something that Ellie, you had mentioned before, um, just maybe off camera about that misconception going both ways, you know, there's misconceptions for, towards both communities. And I think having, like you said, Paul, a safe area to increase that awareness, because maybe some people feel, Hey, I can't, I don't, I don't even know how to ask a question properly. I don't feel comfortable asking a question. Well, from the people that I've encountered and interacted with among multiple communities, reaching out to put this entire panel together, everyone's very friendly. And it's like, hey, tell me about yourself and they'll do it. <laughs> so you, you just have to ask and be respectful and polite. And that's how you would enter any situation, right? I was just wanting to piggyback on what you were saying about having the conversations and if you walked into a, a to a different space, um, how would you act? And kind of carrying that over through all the different diverse communities. Um, it just made me think a lot about like what my answer was going to be, which is just um, being okay with being uncomfortable. I think that that is probably one of the biggest and most key points about how to bring about change. With, especially within our community here and in rural Virginia and the Shenandoah Valley, you're right. There are so many people that I've met that are really, really nice and they feel really, really uncomfortable with my sexuality, but I know that they like me as a person and I like them as a person and just kind of riffing through what their uncomfortable feelings are. And then what my kind of truly uncomfortable feelings are as well, because when you feel threatened or when you feel looked at negatively or when you feel um, any like just any negative emotions, what do you do? You just kind of, I don't know if everyone does it, but for me, I, I can clam up. I can just kind of be a little bit of a turtle. And that also builds the barrier taller. That just, that just works against what, what I want, which is to be able to feel okay with these people. Um, and, and I use these people really lightly and I'm not trying to, to have any um, negative connotation with that. It's just that when, when I encounter uh, people here in, in, um, rural Virginia that maybe don't know how to talk to me or don't know how to talk about my sexuality, that, that, um, just being okay with being uncomfortable, if that's what I can encourage the listeners to the podcast to do is just, just recognize that this might not be something that you feel really comfortable about, but that's okay. Um, and then to segue into like the next part of your question, which is kind of about businesses, I'm kind of just going to piggyback a little bit on what Paul said, which is about basically inclusive language. Um, That's so easy to do, right? On like forums, like Paul said. Also like, oh, that's my son, sorry. But also talking from a medical perspective, being a healthcare worker, I frequently see so much um, in uh, electronic medical records or even just paper charting, paper forms that is not inclusive whatsoever. And I, I, I have it happen to me a lot as a parent with my daughter in school, you know, um, 
how do I how do I write about my wife in these new uh, form or in these forms for my daughter to go to a new school? Or when I take my son to the doctor for the first time, my wife wasn't the one who delivered him. So they felt really uncomfortable talking to her about things, but yet, you know, she's on the birth certificate. So it's just, we um, are just allowing ourselves to live in this like big social norm, which I talked about and we've all kind of touched on. And so just um, inclusive language is so important and it's like seriously so simple to do on paper documentation. All you have to do is literally change a few bullet points and the difference it can make for our community members just to feel welcome and not feel uncomfortable and not have to go through with your pen and mark something out or explain yourself or put an asterisk so that somebody knows what the heck is going on because you can't actually fill out the form because it doesn't align with you at all. Um, that would be like a simple change, but then my like more broad change is just, just the ability to feel uncomfortable and accepting that that's okay. Well, thank you for sharing that, Alyssa. And that's a great point. Also to be able to be on a podcast, bounce a baby with one arm, answer the questions. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. I got to give you props. <laughs> I'm sorry for his commentary, but him screaming in the distant background away from me probably would have been more distracting. So maybe the coups won't be too bad. Um, and Jan, to, to finish this up here, uh, no pressure or anything, but, but uh, just some kind of final thoughts there that you'd like to add again, you know, thinking about our, our businesses, our communities, how they built that atmosphere to be inclusive and welcoming and ultimately what you think that ultimate outcome should look like? Sure. Um, I think the first step to getting rid of any sort of anti-LGBT language, even anti-BLM, anything like that, is to identify your personal bias. And I know a lot of us don't like to talk about that, but we all have personal biases based on where we grew up or whatever that are completely like... I can't think of the word. Unconscious. We all have unconscious biases. And the sooner that we recognize that and are able to break those down and figure out why those are and kind of get rid of those, the better off that we're going to be. Um, businesses, celebrate pride every other month of the year other than June. As Ellie was saying, don't like, have a rainbow flag up 24-7. Make it known that, you, that you're a safe space because queer people will find you. Paul and I have like this one little diner in town in Strasburg that we go to and we're like friends with everyone who works there because it's a safe space for us because they made it known just by their actions. Like putting words out there is great and putting, you know, things up on bulletins showing that like you're LGBT friendly is wonderful, but the action is what we're looking for. Words turning into action is what we're looking for. Like queer people have money too. Yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, Pride is a multi-million dollar business. Just, I mean, businesses make a ton of money during June. Do you understand how much money I would put into things if they were, if they just put, if they, like, if I could find cool flags and cool things with my different flags on them because I have multiple flags, the rest of the year they only sell the stuff in June. So I'm like scrambling to find these things and God help me because I'm plus size. I can't find anything or I'm paying $150 for a piece of cloth that's this big because it's my size. But businesses need to make it known the other 11 months of the year that there is safe space for us and we'll find you. Like just, I mean, actually have that atmosphere. Don't just put a rainbow flag on the things that that's the end of your work. Maybe pronouns on their name tags would help to let us know that you're even cognizant of that. Um, <laughs> breaking down your internal biases is the first step. And I know it's really uncomfortable, but it's going to be helpful in the long run for you to just go ahead and break down whatever biases that you have and realize that you have them and figure out why. And then figure out how to move forward without those biases, as Paul was saying, and hiring practices make it okay for queer people in your workplaces. Like I work for a company, I have certain dress codes that I'm not allowed to adhere by and I never see customers. So I think it's important for us to be able to be openly queer in our workspaces without it being like a political statement. Cause it's not political. It's just who I, it's just who we are. Like me having a rainbow flag up is the exact same as somebody putting up their marriage license. Like it's the same, it's the same 
it's just a part of who you are. And I guess the goal for the future would be able to be like to walk down the street. Like just comfortably. I mean, I'm a person who uses she, her pronouns, so that'll probably, like, never happen. But you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, I don't go out after dark as it is because I'm a femme-presenting person. But if we could just, like, walk down the street, if I could just walk down the street in a rainbow dress and not be worried if people are going to stare at me or something, if Paul could put a pride flag up, Paul lives a block away from me. It was really scary when that hate crime happened. That we're now, if we could just walk down the street without fear, that would be wonderful. Like that's, it's a very simple ask, but it's like, it's, it's a real thing, especially in this tiny little community where everyone knows each other. Like, you're like, we had like a pride cookout and we were like, like last summer at Paul's house and we were generally like afraid. Nothing happened, but if we could just like. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a, Paul, literally we were inside like having food. We weren't like throwing a raver. It's not like that. But if we could just have events where we're like, we just have queer events or queer focused events and not have that kind of fear that there's going to be backlash because God help us if we're out in the community just acting as who we are. Like just being able to walk down the street and exist without somebody having a problem with it. Or if you do have a problem with it, really, like whatever it might be, don't say anything. I have a problem with a lot that goes on. And someone else's identity is none of your business. Also, Google is free. Like it's wonderful to be able to educate people and everything, but Google is also free. So if you don't know about something, don't don't like make the one queer person you know, like in charge of educating you. That's not their job. Like, it's wonderful if they're, like, open to it. And obviously, Paul is a person who likes to talk to people and things like that. But it's exhausting being the only... I I know. I've had conversations with Paul. It's exhausting being the only queer person in your office space to educate people about different issues. It's emotionally exhausting for us to have to be your one resource. So, Google is free. I guess that... I'm going to step down for my soapbox now. As well as visually. So, thank you. I just want to piggyback off one thing because I thought of something else, Ryan. Um, you know, Tina brought up that the workplace protections were added under Governor Northam um, to protect the LGBTQ community. But Virginia is still a, an at-will, you know, uh, what is it, the, the right to work, right? It's at-will employment. So it 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 kind of doesn't matter at a certain point, right? We, we put those protections in place. So for employers, right, you you do need to bring up that this is a safe environment, that people can be their true selves and not worry about getting fired for that. Because unfortunately, that is not a reality for all people. Um, and then just finally, and you can cut this out for time if you need to, but the safety factor is a really, really big thing. And I think Jan put this really perfectly. Like normally I feel very comfortable in Winchester, but I also don't really go out at night here. Um, my wife and I had an incident where uh, uh, an individual came up to us when we were holding hands, walking in Winchester and started yelling at us. It was broad daylight on like a Sunday and nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. So, you know, if, if you are walking down the street and see this kind of crap happening, say something that's, you know, you want to talk about allyship. That's how we know that you actually have our backs celebrate us the re- the other 11 months out of the year. So. Yeah. Just I, recognizing that we struggle to even exist in a space is the biggest thing. I just, I can, I can't never, I'm sorry. Like, again, you can just edit this out, Ryan, but I have never been able to convey with the, the magnitude needed the idea that I have to work to exist in a space in which I can even conform myself to fit out of the space if I need to. So I'm really an anomaly in that way. And so I'm, and I'm thankful and unfortunately, but fortunately for myself, I use that at times when I need to, right? There's other queer folk, there's other races that can't change themselves in the moment that they need to, to be safe or to, to feel welcome. But I mean, we want inclusive um, forms and, and we want 
uh, businesses to promote, but we also just at a baseline, like Jan said, we just want to be able to exist, to live. In one of the the things and one of the initiatives we've we've actually launched in one of our communities, um, basically is all about seeing people, and it doesn't matter your background, where you're from, what you do, if you live, work, or play here, we're glad you're here. And I think that is something you can extend to fellow human beings, period. It doesn't, you don't have to put any qualifier there. Hey, you're a part of this community. We want to hear what you think. We want you to be a part of it. We're, you're here. Um, and I think when we can have those conversations, we can come together and that's when we can really start to put this, these stories together in a way that, that truly does weave our story as a, as a community and as an area. Um, so I think there's something really special to be said there. And there, there's something special about acknowledging everyone who lives here. And thank you all very much for taking the time out of your evening, for being here. Really appreciate you all being on the show, sharing your unique perspectives, backgrounds, ideas and suggestions personally i learned a lot um i'm definitely hoping that our viewers and listeners get something out of this i would encourage everyone um to check out our website nwprevention.org we're also on facebook instagram twitter um, wherever you get your major podcasts you can check out our positive vibes from the valley uh, podcast which i also host shameless plug um, so thank um, you to all of our listeners who tuned in all of our panelists for being here thank you to tina and i'm very glad that i had the opportunity to host this panel and we hope you tune in we are going to have some more episodes featuring multiple perspectives from our other communities so we hope you tune in to find a little more about how their story comes together to weave our story i've been your host ryan thanks everyone thanks so much thanks thank you, thank you.